Amen. You guys sound really good. Thank you for singing. Thank you, Yvette, for leading us along the way. Good morning, Bridge people. Good to see you this morning. Everyone well? Doing all right? Thank the Lord for cool, dry weather. Amen. If it would just stay like this, like all the time year round, we'd have to like, we'd have to keep people out because this is, that would be amazing, right? Everyone, yeah, we'd be San Diego, San Diego on the East Coast. So, uh, no, good to be with you. Um, Good to uh, gather, always good to gather in this place and worship and be with God's people and God's family. So, we're kicking off a new series called Uncommon Joy today, and I'm excited about it, looking forward to it, encouraged, um, hopefully you'll be encouraged uh, by the time that we spend in this series, we'll run right into December, and um, you won't just hear from me on this series, you'll hear from a couple of other folks as well, which is always, always good to hear from, from other voices, and so I trust that God will move and bless during this time. So let's pray one more time, and we'll dive right in to the book of Philippians. Father God. Thank you that we can be in this place this morning. Thank you for the gift of your grace and your mercy. And as we just sung, Lord, every time we step into this place, I'm sure we become more and more aware of our deep need for you. And so I pray, Father, that as we come with um, either our joys or our sorrows, that we would find what we need in you, that we would be strengthened by that, we would be encouraged by that, would be inspired to live for you. Thank you, Father, again for this day, for Sabbath, for rest, and for worship, for fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Um, There are times in life where I'm certain you've experienced something that I've experienced. There are these occasions where you see people doing what it is God has created them to do. You see people um, in moments where it's just very apparent that they are fulfilling sort of their divine purpose, if you will, where there's this very clear harmony between the way they've been gifted and the thing that they are doing or the thing that they've been called to do, and they're fulfilling this this purpose in a very clear way. It's just sort of, you know, it's just sort of this this special um, occasion. And you can sit back and you can marvel at this and look at this and go, wow, look at that. Look at that. That's that's pretty special. So maybe it's maybe it's LeBron James with a basketball. All right? Put a basketball in LeBron James's hands and put him in the NBA finals. And and a lot of the times you're gonna see glimpses of this this magic, if you will, that this person Given their, given, given their set of gifts and what they are doing, there is a harmony there. There's something quite special about what's happening right there. Uh, there are other examples. Um, my wife, for example. If you, put, you go to my wife and you follow her around during the week when she's at the hospital and she works with children um, in the hospital setting, there's something special there because it's just sort of her doing what comes naturally for her. And it's rather effortless, right? A lot of us, when we're around children, especially a lot of them, well, yeah, be honest, right? You like break out into a cold sweat, right? So, but for her, it's just, it's just what she can do. Think of a teacher. There are teachers who you know 
um, they recognized that it was something they wanted to do very early in life. They, um, they would set up their, you know, they would set up, if, you're, if you were a girl, maybe you set up your dolls or something. Or if you're a dude, maybe you set up your action figures and you taught your action figures or your dolls, right? And they just knew they wanted to be a teacher. Now, if, they, if you were to go into the classroom with them, or maybe your, your kids have a teacher like this, they are just in their zone teaching kids. And they'll do it for years because it's just, it's effortless. It's effortless. Um, I took, Christina and I went to uh, the Adele concert a couple of weeks ago down in Miami. Drove down to, to see Adele. And, and, and I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge Adele fan, right? But, but hey, she's, she's pretty amazing. And, but what I saw is what I'm talking about is a person who's been gifted and sort of called, if you will, to do uh, something special. And, and she would be on stage and just sing, and she would sing. It would just be so effortless. It's just, you just marvel at how, how just how special it is. It, there, you know, I'm sure there's training, and I'm sure there's practice and all that. But, man, this person, you know, Adele is just doing what, she, what she's been called to do. And it's just awesome. It's, it's very, very, very special to see that sort of thing happening. Maybe it's true for you too if you're doing what you're called to do. Maybe you're not paid to do it, right? <laughs> a lot of us would like to be doing the thing that we know we're really, really good at, but can't seem to find anybody to pay us to do it, right? That's, that's a hard place to be in. The cool thing about the book of Philippians is that we get a glimpse into the life of Paul. Paul's the author of the book of Philippians. And what you see here, especially in this first chapter, really throughout the entire book, is you get, you get to see a guy operating in his sweet spot. You get to see a man who is fulfilling a divine calling upon his life. And he's, been, he's been equipped, he's been, he's been um, specifically gifted for this calling, and there's no question, man, that he is right where he should be doing exactly what he should be doing. And it, you just marvel at what he does. So as we, we're going to dive into a couple of verses here, and we'll, we'll be throughout um, the, the first chapter. We'll be looking at, throughout the first chapter of the book of Philippians. But keep that in mind, that we're looking at a guy who is doing exactly what he's been called to do. So go with me to the first chapter of the book of Philippians. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 right now. It's really, really powerful to see Paul and his element. And now he's going to, these verses describe basically this sweet spot that he has. It says this, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That's, that's Paul's element. That's his sweet spot. He's been called and he recognizes that God has specifically called him and equipped him to be this one who advances the gospel among the Gentiles. He is the guy that, that clearly, you know, we, we see in, in Scripture that Peter was this apostle that was specifically called to reach the Jews. And here Paul is called specifically to engage with the Gentiles. And this is where he is. 
And he's, he's talking about this, this particular assignment that he has as he's in prison. In fact, so give you a little bit of context to the book of Philippians. Paul is writing from a Roman jail, but not really a Roman jail. He's, he's actually under house arrest. He has a rented house, and he is, he, is, he is under house arrest. And it's quite interesting, this particular type of imprisonment. He's actually under 24-7 uh, actual uh, surveillance, if you will, uh, by a Roman Praetorian guard. And the way this deal worked is that, this, this is why throughout uh, the book of uh, Philippians, even in the first couple of chapters, he talks about how he is in chains. In fact, we'll look at that passage just a little bit. But he is, he is in chains. And he's literally, the way this deal worked is that he would have like, like a, a chain on him, and then the guard that was assigned the task of guarding him was, all, was chained to him as well. So there was no getting away, right? You're, you're right there with the guard. The downside of that for the guard is that he's, 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 um, he's attached to a preacher, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, it's like me when I travel and I'm on a plane and I sit next to somebody and we, the conversation comes around to, so what do you do? If you actually talk to the person in the seat next to you on the plane, right? What do you do? And I kind of go, uh, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh, <laughs> thought this plane ride was going to be fun, right? <laughs> and they've been cussing and stuff and no, kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's what's happening. Paul is... Paul is literally attached to this Roman guard. But did you, did you see what he says? Um, he's excited about that whole thing. He doesn't see it as, as an imprisonment from his calling. But in fact, he says, no, no, no. This is an opportunity. I have a captive audience. Isn't it funny? His attitude is totally different. It's not that I'm captive. It's they're captive to me, baby. They've got to deal with me. And this divine calling that I have to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where Paul flourishes. He started out as this person who was just a, a persecutor of God's people. He, he was attempting to put down the message of Jesus. And God dramatically changes and converts him. And now he's this one who has truly found his calling and his sweet spot. And he's one who now advances the gospel even though he's imprisoned and in chains. Nothing can hold him back. The cool thing about this is not only is, not only is Paul operating in his, in where God wants him to operate, and it's special, we get a little glimpse into it here. But it really, he begins to talk about how it actually defines his very life. And by having, by having this clarity about his life, it produces a particular type of joy deep within his soul. So look at a couple more verses with me. We're going to look at um, verses 18 through 21, all right? So if you look at Philippians chapter 1, still in chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, and it goes like this. But what does it matter, he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice. I'm in prison. I'm attached to this dude. I can't get away from him. He can't get away from me. 
There are people who do this for the wrong reasons. That's what's leading up to these passages. There are people who do this for the wrong reasons. They're not operating in their sweet spot. They're not operating out of a place where they, are, they have been called to. They're just doing it because it benefits them or it gives them certain status and prestige. That's what leads up to these verses. But then he says, he says, but what does it matter to that? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So he rejoices whether or not the gospel is going forward because it's of a good spirit and motivation or whether it's not. Then he continues. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He repeats that word, rejoice. We'll come back to that. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Love that. Wow. Then he says, I eagerly I eagerly expect and hope that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wow. You talk about a guy who's right where he should be, doing exactly what he should be doing, motivated by such purity and such grace and such joy. That is Paul. That is Paul. He says, it's not only the thing I'm meant to be doing, it's the very thing that defines my life. This is just who I am. It's not just what I do. It's not just uh, me operating at the, fullest, at the full capacity or potential of my giftedness. This is just who I am. If you cut me, this is what I bleed. That's what Paul's saying. I, I exist. I am called. I, I am placed here so that I can share the gospel, so that the gospel can advance. And despite the circumstances that, I'm, that I may be in, that never changes with me and that brings me deep and profound joy he says what's interesting here to think about is this is this idea that that paul's um paul's very life calling is is kind of wrapped up in this he he defines his life by this by this service to christ but if you think about it it's it's those things that define us. That's really the question, right? What does define life for us? And if, if, if Paul's saying, this is what defines my life, the advancing of the gospel, the, the serving uh, of Christ, even regardless of my circumstances. But if you think about it, it's that which defines us that has the potential to destroy us. And that's kind of where Paul lives. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's like, I'm not, in fact, we, we, I don't know that we've read those verses yet, but if you read throughout the first chapter, there's this, there's this notion that Paul understands that I'm not really sure how this will all end. He, he loves the Philippians dearly. He loves the people of this church. And they've actually gotten word that he's in a bad place, that he's in prison. That he's in a, they're kind of concerned about him. They're worried about him. And part of the motivation for Paul to write this letter to the Philippians is to say, hey, 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 don't, don't, be, don't be terribly concerned about me. Understand what this is all about. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is, this is what I am made for. This is what defines me. And the people are sitting there going, but what defines you may very well destroy you, Paul. Are you sure you want to do this? 
And he comes back to him and says, hey, hey, it really doesn't matter. What, what happens to me, it's, it's, it's all right as long, in fact, if, if what is happening to me advances the causes of the kingdom, advances the gospel forth, then yes, it's all right. I'm perfectly fine with that. In fact, the huge theme that you cannot overlook throughout the book of Philippians, despite the circumstances that Paul finds himself in, is this notion of joy and rejoicing. It's crazy. What defines him may very well destroy him, but it doesn't bring sorrow upon him. It brings rejoicing. It begs us to ask ourselves the question, what then defines our lives? Because it can be a good thing, right? It can be, it can be a positive thing that we're working towards something uh, for the kingdom of God, that we're advancing the cause of Christ. We're advancing God's vision for the world. We're advancing the kingdom of God and kingdom principles. But there are also other things that aren't so godly that define our lives, that can destroy us, but not for the good of the kingdom. Think about this last week. I probably shouldn't go here, but I will. If you're upset with what I say, uh, Pastor Jeff's email is gpatterson at forestlakechurch.org. <laughs> Nevertheless, you think about this past week and the election that took place on Tuesday. And because so many people are defined not by Christ, their orientation isn't about their faith they're defined by their political party or their political ideology. There are people who sit in churches this morning and people who will sit in churches tomorrow who are devastated, and then there are those who are also elated, right? There are those who are devastated and broken, and then there are those who rejoicing and are happy. And you can see this whole dynamic play out on social media, which, by the way, I would suggest a Sabbath away from social media right now. Go ahead and purge, baby. Just step away from it for a while, right? But you can see how some people define their lives outside of how Paul defined his life. And it is devastating them right now. It is destroying them right now. And that isn't to say that the grief that some feel and the joy that some feel isn't legitimate and isn't warranted. I'm not, I'm not judging that. But what I'm saying is you have to be mindful of what it is that defines you. Amen. What are you here for? Who are you? And what Paul is attempting to say to the Philippians is that this is what defines me my deep and abiding faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so therefore, what happens around me, yes, it will affect me. I can't live in this world and not have things impact me. But at the end of the day, it will not devastate me. And even if it does destroy me or take my life away from me, my confidence and my joy remain in Christ. Amen. I will not allow what goes on around me, to rob me of that, to take my joy away. There's some very profound words from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, on the eve of his assassination that are quite, quite powerful. 
But I think what you hear in these words, and I'm going to share them with you, I think what you hear in these words is this deep and abiding joy and faithfulness that he had. Because he spent his life defined by a movement. He spent his life defined by a movement, and eventually, because he was defined by that movement, it would devastate him, it would destroy him. But listen to his words. He says this, well, I don't know what will happen now. Kind of sounds like Paul. We've got some difficult days ahead. He acknowledges that the reality of the difficult things. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, he says, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Listen to this. And so I'm happy tonight. Joy. He says, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Wow. Isn't that powerful? What defines you very well could destroy you. But be mindful that you are being destroyed for the kingdom of God. Be mindful that you are being destroyed, that you're first being defined by your identity in Christ and, and your belief in his, in his constant faithfulness to you. But be mindful of the fact, too, that it very well could destroy you, but it's being destroyed for the advancing of the gospel. What cannot be overlooked, though, is Paul's insistence on joy and rejoicing. That's just throughout the entire book. In fact, you find, uh, you find nine occurrences of the, of the word joy uh, throughout this four-chapter book. You just see this, this, this idea of rejoicing and rejoicing. And what's uncommon about this reality of joy, again, is that Paul finds joy in an unlikely place. He finds joy in the midst of his sorrows and his crisis and his persecution. That's what's uncommon about it. He says, for every Christ follower, for every believer, regardless of where you are, regardless of your circumstances, there is a deep and abiding joy that can also be yours. Um, my family and I were in Little Rock. This was quite a few years ago. But we were in Arkansas visiting my father. And um, we decided to go to this place, and it's funny, I grew up in Arkansas, and I don't think I'd ever been here, but we decided to go to this place where you can actually search for diamonds, right? In fact, it was just, I think it was just a month ago, maybe even less than a month ago, that a college student and her father were at this very same diamond field, it's a state park, um, diamond field, and they found like some like 14 carat diamond or something just out there in the field. So you literally, if you take a... If you take a vacation to Arkansas, like I know you all are planning a vacation to Arkansas, um, <laughs> you can go to this diamond field and you can get it. They'll let you rent a bucket and a little digging utensil. And you can go out in this field and you can find your fortune, right? And people literally, as recently as the last few weeks, have found, have found diamonds. And it's so weird to think about diamonds in Arkansas, right? <laughs> You just, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. 
In the same way, it's, it's not the first thing that comes to our minds when we think of Paul's circumstances or we think of our own circumstances at times. To think of joy or to think of rejoicing. That, that in this place where I am that seems so chaotic, that seems so desperate, that seems so down, that seems so, so bad, that I could find joy or that I could be joyful and rejoice. James, James has this crazy line. If you go to James, I think it's chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, but he says, um, you should take joy in your sufferings. Like, really, James? Come on, dude. That's not the place where I rejoice. There it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy in unlikely places. Nevertheless, that's what Paul says. For the believer who understands the gospel, who understands that, that our current circumstances aren't the full definition of life for us, and that indeed there is something that we look forward to, we can experience deep and abiding joy, a consistent strength, if you will, and the reality of a God who deeply cares for us. And the reality of a God who absolutely has not forgotten us, has not left us alone, regardless of what prison you may find yourself is, there is a God who is there and who is present. And you can trust and you can believe that he is working things out for you wherever you are. It's joy, it's uncommon, it's in a place where you would never expect it to be. And yet it is the thing that defines Paul's faith. And it's the thing that should define who you are and who I am in Christ. So I, I'm going to attempt to um, share a little bit, um, maybe at the end of each message, stories of people who have demonstrated this uncommon joy, if you will. And um, I want to just mention someone here who... Um, Actually, a very, very close, a very precious, precious friend of ours. But I had the privilege of working with this person in ministry and watching this person exhibit this, this, this type of joy that Paul is talking about. And her entire life was spent in ministry doing that very thing, even up until her dying days. She just uh, passed away just uh, several months ago. Her name was Gail Tucker. And she was a pastor that I worked with. My wife and I, very, very close to Mike and Gail Tucker, uh, very, very dear, dear friends of ours. But she, um, she had cancer. She got cancer and, um, and then very quickly deteriorated in her health. But it's quite powerful to see the strength of someone who God had called into a particular place of ministry. And she ministered well. She was in her sweet spot, man. And she mentored those of us coming along that were younger. And she strengthened and encouraged those that were around her. And she served well. And she served with this abiding and deep sense of joy. There was nothing that really shook her. And, and I recall just, um, we, we saw her, Christina and I were with her um, just a couple of weeks before she would pass away, a few weeks before she would pass away. And it was pretty powerful to see um, just that joy and that confidence 
that would exude from her still. And she would manage smiles even as her body was deteriorating and even as her her speech was barely present. And as as the cancer ravaged her body, as she had become imprisoned by this disease, she still exuded this enormous joy. She still displayed this constant and abiding faith. It was so, so profound. And I remember our dear friend Mike, her husband, saying that um, one of the things that she always whispered to him in the midst of this terrible ordeal is that you have to keep on living our life. Keep living our life. Basically what Paul is saying to the Philippian church Keep living that life of joy. Regardless of the circumstances that you may find yourself imprisoned in, regardless of what disease that may ravage yours or someone you love's love body, keep, keep living that life of joy. And even as you do that, even as you hang on to that joy, even as you live in a deep and abiding joy and trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you advance the kingdom of God. There are so many of us that that knew Gail and were mentored by Gail and inspired by Gail. And we continue to serve in ministry because of her witness and her impact and her influence on our lives. Why? because she demonstrated a deep and abiding joy. And even while imprisoned by the disease, her advancing the kingdom continues in our lives. Uncommon, uncommon joy. It's what defines us. It's what keeps us going. It's what advances the kingdom of God. Our Father and our God, Thank you for this time that we've had this morning. Thank you that you remind us that you are ever-present despite the circumstances. And Father, as you call us to live and abide in you, and as you place us in strategic places in your kingdom, may we live those places fully. May we use our talents and our gifts and our abilities to the fullest so that we might advance your cause. And God, may we do it with a deep and abiding joy. In Jesus' name, amen.